God's Word this evening to the Gospel according to Luke, the first chapter. We're going to begin reading at verse 26, Luke chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 26. The theme of our message tonight is the interaction that we find throughout Scripture between Christ and the angels. We've been looking at this theme of angels in God's Word, what God instructs us regarding them over the course of the past several uh, Lord's Days. And as we open up the Gospels and begin to read these Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, it's, it's interesting how often Angels are a part of Jesus' life here upon earth. Now, we might be able to name one or two incidences, but it's when you begin to put the whole collection of them together that, one, we're reminded of the humility of Christ. That when Christ comes into this world, when Christ enters this world, he is humbling himself so that there are occasions in the life of Jesus where the ministry of angels becomes a necessity. Christ shines brighter than all the angel hosts. Christ who is above these great created beings is subjected to their ministry. Such he did for you and I. You know, this morning I used that illustration of rescuing the slave and accompanying them at the cost of or at the threat of your own life to, to bring them up through the Underground Railroad. The true reality is, isn't it, that Christ died to set us free. If we were to use the illustration fully, it would be that someone actually gave their life in order for that slave to have their freedom. And then once they are set free, to turn and say, I want to go back. For it did cost Christ. He is the suffering servant. It cost him the rejection of his father. We're going to catch part of that tonight. But there is another aspect of the, of the work of these angels that also speaks gloriously of his divinity, speaks of his superiority speaks of his power, speaks of his might. And so in a certain sense, as we see the ministry of angels intersecting with the life of Christ as he takes on human flesh, what we begin to see is the fact that they minister not only to him in his human nature, but they also serve him as Christ in his divine nature. 
read God's Word as it's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessing. Our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for the wonderful story of Jesus' birth. That he came to save, redeem this world. We ask that thou would be with Pastor Bob as he brings this word. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. The intersection between Christ and the angels, between Jesus in his earthly life and ministry and the angels that are sent, begins here. Well, actually, it began earlier in the chapter because there at his birth, there are announcements that come prior. Announcements that are all brought by angels. The announcement to Zechariah, found in the earlier part of Luke chapter 1. This announcement to Mary is brought by an angel. If we were to turn to Matthew chapter 1, you know very well that Joseph also, who is in the midst of wondering what this is all about, what he's supposed to do about Mary, seeing he is a righteous and blameless man, he, he is wondering, what do I do about this situation? There in the midst of his wondering and questioning, who does God send? But an angel. All three, Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph, are given announcements of Jesus' birth by angels. And the question would be, why does God do that? I mean, there have been many prophecies uttered by prophets long before this. Isaiah certainly is uttering those prophecies. So why didn't God just tap Zechariah on the shoulder and say, Zechariah, you go to Mary and tell Mary. Why doesn't he tell Zechariah, you also go visit Joseph and talk to Joseph? Why don't we have one of the, the learned men of the day come to Zechariah and tell him 
Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a child who's going to be the forerunner of the Christ. Why does God put this in the hands, as it were, or in the mouth, better yet, of angels? Perhaps God is simply trying to communicate two thoughts. One, this is the direct message from me. As angels serve as my messengers, as those who come from my presence, from my very presence, I want this news to be carried by angels. I'm not going to entrust even human prophets with this good news. I'm going to put it in the mouth of my messengers. And perhaps he is doing so because the message not only is so important, but because it's news that only angels can bring. It's only those who in their own holiness, the holy angels of God, those who are in his presence. Nothing unholy can be in the presence of God. Therefore, it's entrusted to holy angels to bring this great news. Not sinful man to convey it, but holy angels. The news is too good to be tainted by any sin. And so these announcements of the birth of Christ all come from angel visitors. And of course, we know the announcements afterwards, right? All we have to do is go to Luke chapter 2. The passage we read as our call to worship this morning, which includes the news from one angel. Then we have that which is given by the host of angels. Notice, notice what happens. The announcement of Christ's birth prior to his birth is entrusted to angels. The news of his birth, the first announcement that the Christ has been born, is put into the mouth of his holy angels once again, his holy messengers. Those that have come, again, from the holy presence of God. That's why the shepherds are afraid. They're afraid because of the presence of holiness that they are now in. The glory of God that is shining abundantly around this angel puts them to fear. The first words of this angel have to be, fear not. I bring you good news. So just understand and, and, and reflect on, God is telling us, the Father is telling us about the birth of Jesus. God become flesh, Christ. Now, in human nature, that message is so beautiful, so pure, so full of grace, that it has to be brought by angels. Well, this we're pretty well aware of, aren't we? But perhaps we've never thought about it in that context as to why it is that God entrusts this news to these angels. 
but also in his life. And there I'd ask you to make use of the scripture references that, that you have been given. There's at least two times during the earthly ministry of Jesus in which we see angels coming to his aid in the sense of coming to bring comfort, coming to strengthen him. Mark chapter 1, 13. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild angels. And he was with the wild animals, sorry. And the angels were ministering to him. That's at the very beginning of his ministry as he faces those temptations. At the close, in the sense of that earthly ministry, as he's there in the garden and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. How much mystery is there not in those two texts? Right? God in flesh needing to be strengthened by angels. I, I don't think all the sermons in the world or all the books in the world could, could ever possibly unravel all that is being communicated there. Nor do I think our minds could ever be, even begin to grasp all that that would entail. How can God need to be strengthened? How, how is that possible? How is it that, that the angels in the wilderness could be ministering to Christ? Uh, but as we say with Calvin, sometimes we just have to be satisfied with mystery, don't we? Confess its truth, acknowledge its truth, but be in awe of a Savior who came. But understand, you see, there is a part of this that's ringing out that those passages from Isaiah that there is no one, no one, no one, no one, no one. He's all alone. The only ones who are there to help and to aid are no other sinful human being. His disciples all sleep. And it's the angels of God. Who need to come to minister to him. Why does he subject himself to such? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus for you and I. He suffered even unto death for you, for me. See, we have to see these passages in that light as well. He is Christ, the Son of God is Subjecting himself to the ministry of angels. Because he has to? No. Because he desires to. To fulfill the work of being our Savior. So during his life we see him, these angels ministering to Christ as his comforter. We also see him as his protectors. Think of the passage that we have here from Matthew chapter 2, 13 and 14. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, 
For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Doesn't Jesus know this? Yes. Doesn't this little child in his divinity know that Herod is seeking to kill him? Yes. Why doesn't he just open his mouth then and say, Joseph, you need to leave here. Herod's coming. Why? Because he was like us in every respect. And we as little children, right, don't say such things. We as little children do not fathom such things. He was like us in every respect. He became like us in every respect except for sin. That's the only exception, folks. So again, how do I explain that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, seems to be here with a limited knowledge and ability? It's mystery. But I do know this. He does so willfully. He does so to subject himself to our humanity, to become like us, so that that sacrifice on the cross is full and complete and acceptable in the eyes of God. So the angel. Now, I, I would imagine most of us, it, when we think back to this story, forgot the fact that it's an angel involved. We, we probably just go to, oh, yeah, jo Joseph was warned by God in a dream. Hmm, interesting how we just kind of eliminated the angel out of the picture, didn't we? But true, it's coming from God. The message is from God. But I think it's important that we acknowledge that the message God sends comes through the angel. This was God's means of communicating to Joseph he needed to leave. Because the life of that child needed to be protected from the tyrant called Herod. Third, we see the interaction as his servants. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus has just finished a, a parable, a teaching moment. And then he utters these words. The field, as explanation, the field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. There's a picture being created there for us, a word picture that Jesus is given to us about how things occur spiritually. And the work of angels who are involved in gathering God's people. See, they function as his servants. Now think of everything we've said, okay? You know, they come and comforted him and, and they needed to protect him. But now Jesus is saying, now you need to also see that these angels are my servants. These are the ones that I send to reap the earth. These are the ones that I send to gather my people. These are the ones that I commission to bring unto me those who are mine. 
It's interesting when you start reading about this passage that, that there's a, a couple of different views. Some people see this, this reaping by the angels as that which will take place at the end of time. I think that's the most appropriate way of understanding this particular text and passage. But there are others who say, and I think it, it's worth noting, that there is a sense in which God commissions his angels, Christ commissions them to come to gather us, to take us to be with him. Perhaps it's more a teaching about that which happens actually at our death. That as his servants, Christ commands these angels to go forth and to reap those who are his for himself. But Jesus often uses angels as examples. The next set of passages, Matthew 18.10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, first of all, let's make sure we understand the passage. That it's not saying everybody has this one guardian angel. Because notice where the guardian angel, quote unquote, is. They're there before the face of God. Okay, so they're not the little shadow following around an infant. Angels do guard us. They do protect us. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. But here Jesus' point is that there are those who are speaking, those who are before the Father, who are giving to the Father the observations that they have seen upon earth. Remember the latter, Right? The angels coming and going in Jacob's dream. Remember, they're coming with, with the, as it were, the marching orders, the messages from the Lord, but they bring back to the Lord, as it were, the information. Lord, there's somebody over there who's taking one of your covenant children and they're filling their head with empty and vain philosophies. As Jesus said just before this, <laughs> be better at a millstone be tied around their neck and they're thrown into the sea than to face that judgment. So it's that picture once again of Jesus telling us these angels are involved in a communication with the Father about us and about what's happening in our lives. Mark 12, 25 for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. This is the text that reminds us that when we take our vows, for better or for worse, sickness and so on, till death do us part, it's exactly what happens. There actually should be a line added to those vows, or until Christ comes again. Because death, as death ends the marriage relationship, see, we don't often acknowledge that, we don't say that, we don't think it, but that's what we've vowed, death ends the relationship, till death do us part. So does the coming of Christ. There is no marriage in heaven. They're like angels. Jesus is using this to correct the error of the Sadducees. Third passage there, Luke 15, 10. 
Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What an acknowledgement, right, of their awareness, their keen awareness of that which is happening here upon this planet. That which is taking place in individual lives and in individual hearts. That as a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. There's two things about that. One, right, they're setting for us the example of what should be going on. But it's also a condemnation of us when there are those sinners who repent and we have nothing but frowns upon our face and doubts in our mind and discouragement dispersed. Even as the angels rejoice in heaven, so the church of Jesus Christ ought to rejoice over one sinner who comes to faith. Think of the hundreds of people just today who were sinners yesterday. But today, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through God's grace, they have repented. They have confessed Jesus Christ. They have acknowledged Jesus Christ. The hundreds, the hundreds, if not thousands of individuals who have stood and professed their love in Jesus Christ. Those who have been taken down to the river and have been baptized. Is their confession of sin, their acknowledgement, and their turning towards Christ. Are we rejoicing? Are we here with big smiles on our faces? Is the church like, this is the greatest place to be in the world because here is where people come to know Christ in the church. The angels are rejoicing. See, Paul, or Jesus says this in the context of the fact that he's hanging around with sinners and there are those who are casting those looks. Why would he spend time with those people? I tell you, there is more joy amongst the angels in heaven. Or, as he uses them in Matthew 24, 36. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Reminds us of the fact that these angels, as great and glorious as they are, are limited in their knowledge. They are not God. They are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They don't know, as, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, what it's like to be saved. They don't, they don't know grace. They don't experience grace. Oh, they could define it. Right? They, they could give us a classic definition, what is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Unmerited favor. They never experience it. See, their knowledge of these spiritual things has no experience along with it. Quite a reminder, isn't it, that the Son of God came not to save angels. There is not one angel 
who has fallen, who will ever know grace. But only you and I, only humanity. See, he was an angel, wasn't he? He's the angel of the covenant. He's the angel of the Lord that we looked at. But you see, as the angel of the Lord, he could not bring about redemption. He had to have this. He had to have flesh. He had to be one of us in order to bring that about. So we see him as his comforters, his protectors, his servants, his examples. They're his grave openers. Right? Matthew 28, 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Okay? Jesus doesn't roll the stone away. Right? There, there is no reason for Jesus to roll the stone away. He's already alive. He's already gone from the tomb. The angel only comes to roll the stone away so that we might see him. Not to let Christ out. It's amazing how, how some people get this all muddled up, right? You know, they, they, here they are, they're thinking, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but boy, he needs help getting the rock out of the way. It's kind of a strange conception of the power of Jesus. You can raise, be raised from the dead, but you can't roll a rock away. So the text comes to us with the truth of the fact that it is the angel who comes. Just the multitude of times Christ and angels are interacting and intersecting. Or we could go on, right? Not only are, are they the grave openers, they also become the witnesses of the resurrection and of the ascension. Luke chapter 24, 4 through 7. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Acts, hear him speak as the witnesses. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's interesting that as Christ enters the world, those who get to announce that which has happened are angels. When Christ rises from the dead, those who get to announce the word first are angels. When Christ ascends into heaven, those who get to speak the word of testimony first. Because what are the disciples doing? What's going on? What's happening? We don't get this. It is the angels who have to come with the message. His earthly ministry is bracketed by God sending angels to bring forth the announcement of the good news. That now becomes the responsibility of the shepherds to go and to tell. 
that now becomes the responsibility of the disciples to go and tell, to become those angelic messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. One more thing, and that's in regards to today. For he still has his human flesh. It's the glory of the, the ascension that we have an advocate before the Father who is still in human flesh. He didn't leave it behind when he ascended. He is there. And as he is there in glory, what is happening? What is happening even at this moment? There's a song being sung. And then I looked, Revelation 5, 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I had that great opportunity again last evening to, to hear Handel's Messiah. And this song just pulsating from that chorus. And blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him. That's, what, that's what's ringing through heaven at this moment. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He humbled himself, Philippians tells us. Therefore God has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That, that is happening now in glory. Every tongue, every knee is singing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So that's the way it ends, right? That's the, the, you know, we have Jesus announced his birth. That involves angels. His earthly ministry involves angels. And that's pretty much the way it's going to be and there won't be much change. No, no, that's not what the scriptures teach. What the scriptures remind us of is the fact that there is a coming again. And that when Christ comes again, these angels are going to be involved in all of the judgments that take place prior. When you read through the book of Revelation, it is the angels who are involved in the seven letters of the churches. It is the angels who are involved in the blowing of the seven trumpets. It is the angels who are involved in the seven bowls of wrath that are emptied out upon the earth. God's judgments that come upon an unbelieving world, are carried out by Christ's servants. It's not that this relationship of, of worship is that which continues and continues and, and there is no change. No, there is a change. And the change is, now is the time. That which you do not know has now become known. It is the time for my son to come back to earth. You angels go you angels go as ministers, as messengers of judgment upon the earth. 
that shall precede the coming of my son. So are those angels still involved in the work and ministry of Christ beyond that of worship? Absolutely. They're still involved in the judgments that are going to be or are in the process of being poured out upon this earth. They're going to accompany his return. When our Lord Jesus comes, again, he comes with angels. Mark 8, 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Luke 9, 26, forever is ashamed of me and my words. Of Him will the Son of Man be ashamed when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We're not done with them, folks. These angels are active. And they're going to continue to be active through all eternity. When Christ returns, he will be returning with angels. Do you see the picture? I don't mean a physical picture, the spiritual picture that's being portrayed. Angels coming not as little cupids with bows and arrows to make us all fall in love with one another and give each other chocolates and all that sort of stuff. Mighty angels. Mighty angels who are going to come and what are they going to do? They're going to gather us. See, even on the day of judgment, there will be no mistake. Even on that day of Christ's return, those who are going to be commissioned to make sure that we are gathered up with Christ are the angels. Matthew chapter 13, 49 and 50. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What are they doing? You're righteous. You're over here. You're under our protection. You're under our guard. You are being kept. You? Off. Away. Even on the very day of judgment, The angels will still be doing the work of Christ for His glory, for His honor. I told you as I began, it's interesting when you see this, there's the intersection that takes place between Christ and the angels, but it takes place at that human nature, but also at that divine nature. The beauty of these last passages is that it is in his nature as human and divine that the angels continue to 
to sing, worship, serve, accompany our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It has surprised me. I hope it surprises you how little we have thought of angels. How little regard we have for them, even though the pages of Scripture present to us over and over and over again. And so I'll leave you with this thought, perhaps to, to hunger for, for the next message on angels. I leave you with this thought. If God, in his sovereign plan and purposes, made use of angels to guard and protect Jesus Christ, what do you suppose he does with angels for you and I? For are we not also sons of God? Are we not also his family? What would a father do to protect his children? Perhaps the ministry of angels is something we need to explore a little bit further. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are the creator of these beings. They are not to be worshipped. They are not to be glorified. They are not to be sung to in the sense of our worship. But Father, we do thank you for their ministry. The way in which we have seen them work and move throughout the Old Testament. The way in which we see them here in the Gospels in the life of Christ. But Lord, that, that reminds us and should inspire us to, to think and reflect upon how we see them working in our own lives. Thank you for your word, the truth of it. May we confess the whole of it and not the part of it. And may we, Father, be content with the mysteries that we cannot solve with our human rational thinking. But may we always stand in awe of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For to you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God's people say, Amen.